Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. The Winter Olympics are coming up in Beijing. And as a not-jock, it's easy for me to fall into the trap of seeing these athletes perform at the peak of their game, you know, at the height of their powers, and assume it's all roses and sunshine and adoring fans when they get home. Because... It's mostly not like that, right? Take Lindsey Vaughn, former ski champ and Olympic medalist. She's written a book called Rise, where she talks about not just what it took to get to the top, but the hits she took coming down too. And she says this interesting thing to NPR's A. Martinez in this interview, that she's thankful for being wired in whatever way that lets her feed off of negativity, because she's seen careers get crushed from not being supported in the right way. Numbers that explain the economy. We love them at The Indicator from Planet Money. And on Fridays, we discuss indicators in the news, like job numbers, spending, the cost of food, sometimes all three. So my indicator is about why you might need to bring home more bacon to afford your eggs. I'll be here all week. Wrap up your week and listen to The Indicator podcast from NPR. This message comes from Wondery. For a masterclass on innovation and creativity, listen to How I Built This, where host Guy Raz talks to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. Listen to How I Built This early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Former ski champion Lindsey Vaughn had her first go at the Olympics in 2002 in Salt Lake City, Utah. I had dreamed about it since I was a kid, um, and my entire family was there watching and it was a home Olympics. It's it's pretty rare to have a home Olympics, you know, in your career, let alone have it be your first Olympics at 17. She writes about growing up on the slopes in Minnesota and training in Colorado in her new memoir, Rise. After her Olympics debut, she told me that she felt kind of deflated because of what came next. You dream of being Olympian, you make it to your first Olympics, and you think this is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, it was very anticlimactic. I felt... You know, like I I still hadn't proven myself to the team and, um, you know, I was sent right back to lower level races as soon as the Olympics were over, which I was, you know, very disappointed about. And I just didn't feel like I had the support within the team at that time. And that really drove me and motivated me to, you know, to fight back and, and to kind of make my place and make my way on the team. So let me get this straight. So you're you're doing well in the Olympics, but then you get sent down to lower level races. Now a coach, Lindsay, might say, well, mate, you know, she needed that. She needed that motivation. She needed that to be done to her to keep her hunger uh, going. Well, I mean, I, I had the best women's <laughs> result of the entire Olympics. So, I mean, to be demoted from that point was, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but um, and I will say that a lot of other athletes have had similar experiences, um, but that type of demotion ended their careers. You know, they never made it back. And whether that was because they, you know, never had the success or they were mentally beaten down, you know, I think that I've seen that happen many, many times. Um, so I think I was lucky in the sense that, you know, I'm one of those people that's very, very driven by people saying that I can't do something, but not everyone is wired that way. Well, that's the thing then. See, I mean, because I think a lot of people just see athletes as these machines, these machines that uh, overcome all kinds of stresses and pressures and don't maybe think about all of the things that you have to deal with, like every other human being has to deal with that maybe isn't on a ski slope winning an Olympic gold medal, right? I mean, you, you're a human being just like everybody else. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, for me, I, I'm lucky that I'm wired that way in the sense that negativity 
you know, fuels me. But most people, you know, it really has quite the opposite effect. And I know so many people that have so much talent, but, you know, were never pushed in the right way or supported in the right way. And their careers crumbled and they never made the success that they could have achieved because they just weren't understood or weren't supported. And, you know, that that leads into what probably for a lot of people, Lindsay, was the story of 2021 athletically is how athletes put mental health at the forefront as opposed to just, you know, blocking things out or deciding to just fight through things. Simone Biles was the biggest example. Uh, she was at the Olympics and pulled herself out because she got what she called a, a bout of the twisties where she could not kind of... Uh, figure out where she was in the air when she would land in her gymnastics routine. And obviously that's very dangerous. A gymnast should know where they're going to land uh, if they want to make it out uh, you know, without breaking a leg or something worse. Um, in skiing, Lindsay, is there anything similar to what Simone Biles went through uh, when it comes to what she uh, had to overcome? You know, I think it's definitely different when you're when you're inverted in the air. I think there's a a different component of, you know, spatial awareness that mm. we don't necessarily deal with. I think there is an element of, you know, in downhill, you have to be incredibly fearless. You know, you're throwing yourself down a mountain at 85 miles an hour. And if you're not confident in what you're doing, it can be incredibly dangerous. Um, I do know athletes that have dealt with different psychological obstacles coming back from injury. Um, and I do know of, you know, athletes that have dealt with different anxieties due to pressure and, um, you know, uh, being sick before races and just, you know, really feeling unwell. So this, that's definitely, there's a component to that. And I think that that is similar across all sports, but to the extent of the twisties, it's not necessarily similar in skiing. Now the Winter Olympics, uh, we're coming up on the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Uh, what do you think of Michaela Schifrin's chances? I know she was recently quarantined in, in Europe after testing positive for COVID. Oh, I'm I'm not worried about Michaela. You know about the COVID. Um, everyone's been getting COVID on the tour. I've I've heard so. I think she's going to do exceptionally well. As she she always has in in the Olympic Games, and um, I think it's going to be interesting because the course is new for everyone. There wasn't um, there were no test races, so I have no idea. You know who who that suits because um, some mountains obviously suit some skiers more than others. But um, Michaela's an exceptional skier, and she's. I have no doubt going to come away with many medals. So in that situation, I mean, what do skiers do? You're almost going cold, literally, on this mountain, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult, but I think everyone's in the same boat. You know, no one has skied the course. And the ski events are in a couple of cities northwest of Beijing that usually only get about two inches of snow a year. The rest of the snow is going to be created artificially. I hear you smiling. I mean, is this something professional skiers are used to competing on artificial snow? I mean, yeah, we race on on man-made snow all the time, okay. but um, I don't think I've ever been to a place that has annually two inches of snow. I think that's that's a first. Um, but, you know, like in Colorado, for example, early season training, everyone skis on man-made snow. That's just, unfortunately, with global warming, the way uh, things are going with the sport. Do skiers worry about climate change or the future about the sport? I mean, you need the snow to, to come <laughs> down naturally, right, to have a sport. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, it's been so difficult the last few years to hold the entire World Cup schedule. Um, a lot of the races that we have are a bit lower in altitude and 
those races have been canceled more often than not. We've had to, you know, permanently replace some venues because they just simply don't get snow anymore. Um, a lot of, I mean, if you look at Croatia, they just had a race a few days ago and it was essentially dirt besides one small strip of snow and there were leaves blowing everywhere. It was incredible. And they ended up actually canceling the men's race because it was just terrible conditions. So that's something that a ski racing community we've all known about for a long time. And I mean, the glaciers that I grew up skiing on in Austria and places like that are essentially gone. It's, it's, it's incredibly sad. And global warming is something that's very real for the world. And I feel like in the grand scheme of things, our sport doesn't really matter in that way, but we see it firsthand. Lindsay Vaughn's new memoir is called Rise. Lindsay, thanks. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR.